Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you as we do each week to be here with us this morning and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Now perhaps you have noticed that I closed my pre-sermon prayer slightly differently than I usually do. Now, not that I could ever be accused of being a creature of habit, wink, wink. Um, but what I usually say is we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. And today I said in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's appropriate for me to add a little Trinitarian flavor to the prayer this morning as it is Trinity Sunday today the day on which we celebrate the great three-in-one-ness of our God. And I don't think I didn't notice, by the way, that a couple of weeks ago, J.D. joked that this Sunday in England is called Curate's Sunday because rectors who know that it's nearly impossible to talk about the Trinity without accidentally slipping into some form of heresy or another always assign their associates to preach on this day. <laughs> Uh, Benjamin Myers, who is an Australian theologian, uh, recently came up with a list of ways to avoid Trinitarian heresy. And his number one suggestion was, quote, start by abolishing Trinity Sunday, that fateful day on which preachers think they have to explain the Trinity. Also on his list, quote, have you come up with a really helpful analogy of the Trinity? Well done. Now, please don't tell anyone about it, ever. <laughs> so it's no coincidence that on Trinity Sunday, I'm up here and JD's over there. <laughs> but don't worry, if at some point during the sermon you hear someone shout, modalism, and go storming out of the church, it's just a seminarian. They'll get over it and everything will be fine. So let us begin. The Trinity. Three in one, one who is three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that there's no more appropriate way to begin a sermon on the Trinity and therefore on God the Father, that first person of the Trinity, than with the police's epically popular and secretly epically creepy song, Every breath you take. You know the song, every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Now if that's a guy singing to a girl, I mean it's about the most stalkery song ever. <laughs> every single day, every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. Can you say restraining order? 
But let's pretend for a second that the police are Christians. And let's further pretend that every breath you take is not a sung song sung by a boy about a girl or to a girl, but a song sung by God to you. Now, all of a sudden, it's not just creepy. It's downright scary. Every move you make, every vow you break, every smile you fake, every claim you stake, I'll be watching you. And then the final indignity, oh, can't you see you belong to me? This is the claim of God the Father Almighty. His claim on us is absolute. He created the world and everything in it. We see this in our reading this morning from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. He created us in the same way with a word. He created you. He created me. You did not create yourself. You cannot create yourself. He tells us how to live, and he's watching. Now, as we'll see in a minute, this is not by any means all that God the Father is, but this is, I think, how we often conceive of him, sort of the the, the great Santa Claus in the sky, judging who's being naughty and nice. Every move you make, every vow you break, every smile you fake, every claim you stake, I'll be watching you. And so we see that by himself, God the Father, God above us, God the creator, God the lawgiver, God the watcher, by himself is not good news. He's scary. He's too good. He's too holy. He's watching too closely. He sees altogether too much. When Isaiah has a vision of this holy God, God above us, he famously says, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Peter first meets Jesus, he says much the same thing. Depart from me, he says, for I am a sinful man. God the Father, God above us, by himself, is not a comforting thing. God above us, alone, is a terrifying thing. He's the guy up there with the quiver full of lightning bolts, ready to throw them when we mess things up down here. The idea, in fact, of God the Father up there by himself is why people don't come to church. It's scary. If he's up there by himself, we're dead. Literally. But God the Father is not by himself. The Apostle Paul opens the second chapter of his letter to the Ephesians with these words. And I'm condensing a little bit here, so if you've got Ephesians 2 memorized, just bear with me for a second. He says, And you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, subject to God above you. But God, says St. Paul, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Paul is saying something incredibly comforting here. When God above us finds us wanting, he doesn't throw lightning bolts. When God above us finds us wanting, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. When God above us finds us wanting, he sends God for us. This is Jesus the second person of the Trinity, God for us. You see, continues Paul in Romans 5, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, he says, will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Both of those sections of Scripture include those most blessed two words in the Bible. But God. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But God was rich in mercy. We were ungodly and unrighteous, powerless, defiant of the lawgiver, but God demonstrated his love by sending his son for us, to live for us, to die for us, to be resurrected for us. In our uh, Good Friday service, we say this profound sentence that strikes me every year. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls. Set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls. If God above us signals our death, God for us announces our resurrection. A friend says, the lawgiver sent the lawkeeper to die for us, the lawbreakers. The lawgiver, God above us, sent the lawkeeper, God for us, to die for us, the lawbreakers. He has indeed set his passion cross, and death between his judgment and our souls. God above us sent God for us to make everything okay. And everything would be okay. 
except for one little problem. It's nearly impossible for us to believe that this amazing thing is actually true. In Jesus' great commissioning of his disciples that we read in Matthew 28, Jesus tells them this wonderful thing, that he will be with them always to the end of the age, which would be comforting if it were true. But it isn't, is it? At least, not literally. This sentence is the end of the book of Matthew, but Jesus isn't around here today, is he? And in fact, he didn't stay around much longer even then. But he did promise that God would come. I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Just as God above us sent God for us to rescue us from our sin, God for us promised that God would be with us forever. This is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God with us. In yet another one of his letters, this one to the Corinthians, Paul finds himself at a place where he is in profound touch with the harsh realities of human life. He says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal, i.e. what is dying, may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God, says St. Paul, who has made us for this very purpose. Here's the best part. And has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Listen first to the terrible poetry of that. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, waiting for what is mortal to be swallowed up by life. Who can't identify with this? We, here in this place, are groaning, longing to be in our heavenly home, but not able to be there yet. Our lives so often seem like they're falling apart, our earthly tents are being destroyed. Because of the holiness of God above us and because of our inability to live up to it, we are oppressed in this place. It's why we don't feel good enough, why we feel unworthy. We feel it so acutely. It is the subconscious friction of our lives. And because of this place, because of the friction of our lives here, 
so easily forget the promise of God for us. Jesus said that those who believe in him will have this eternal life, but that seems so far away and surely for people better qualified than we are. Can it really be true for people like us, people like you, people like me? But Paul says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing the truth of what is to come. You know how sometimes you feel close to God and sometimes you don't? Sometimes you feel loved and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel okay and sometimes you don't. The good news, the gospel, is that Jesus Christ came to earth to rescue sinners, to die in the place of we, the convicted guilty, and to take the decision of that jury onto himself. And this good news is true whether we feel close to God or not. The gospel is good news. News about something that is already accomplished. It's already finished. It's the announcement that God for us, Jesus Christ, has successfully reconciled us to God above us. It's news. It's good news. And it's finished. It's true whether we feel loved or not. It's finished. It's true whether we feel okay or not. We might even say that it's true because you don't feel okay. It's true because you don't feel loved. It's true because you feel far from God. Jesus came for the sick and the sinful, not for the well, the healthy, and the righteous. The times when you feel close, when you feel loved, when you feel okay, that's the deposit proving that there are bright heavenly stars in the nighttime sky of human life. That even though we feel and are 100% guilty, we are 100% redeemed. It is finished. We began with the police, we must end with Barry White. <laughs> God is your first, your last, your everything. First, God is above you. He made you. He shows you how to live. But last, he is for you. When you didn't live like he showed you, he died in your place, giving you his life in exchange for yours. And finally, he is your everything. Every day, every hour, every moment, he is with you, even now. He is carrying you on. God is a trinity. Three in one. One who is three. He made you. He redeemed you. And he sustains you. 
Oh, can't you see, the Father sings, you belong to me. And now, in light of the saving grace of the Son and the enduring care of the Spirit, that is good news indeed. Amen.